Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships. Uh, this week I'm delighted to be joined by friend of the show, Sarah, who is an activist for um, Decrim Now. Hello, Sarah. Hello. <laughs> uh, Sarah is has been doing some sterling work for the decriminalisation of sex work. And it's very much, it's always, feels like it's always in the news. There's always um, something to talk about with the, the laws around sex work in the UK, uh, which don't protect sex workers enough. And there are plans afoot and in place to bring in some new laws, which will um, actually make it even harder and make sex workers even less safe than they already are. We're going to explain that today. There's going to be a shout out as well, not a shout out, a call out for you uh, to do things. Um, and uh, Decrim now have made this extremely easy for you to do. So there's absolutely no excuse. Uh, Sarah and her colleagues have done so much work and organising around this. And it's been frankly wonderful to see. And as I mentioned in our last episode, um, Sarah, as well, that feel free to come in here, is that there's quite a lot of solidarity in place at the moment and it's really sisters and cut who have kind of been who have been leading this lately and it's been really great to see hasn't it yeah um i think like we're at a historic place with that um mm. in that our open letter that we launched two fridays ago mm-hmm. um is you know was signed by 150 organizations and individuals there's a lot more yeah. in the coming days maybe the time this goes out the update will have been processed mm-hmm. but um there are going to be a lot more people signing on to it and those organizations are you know sisters uncut mm-hmm. but also you know ucu mm-hmm. gmb momentum open labor you know, and that's before you get to you know amnesty liberty stonewall mm-hmm. uh and although they haven't signed our letter, Terence Higgins Trust and um, the National AIDS Trust have released their own letter, which is very much tailored towards HIV prevention. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's a lot of momentum with a small M behind this. Mm. And there's, you know, a lot more consensus building going on around it. Mm. Uh, that historic, you know, I think a lot of this has come is down to a lot of sex workers I know who have done a lot of hard work over the last few years, doing a lot of movement building mm. and showing why sex workers shouldn't just be in a box or sex workers' rights aren't in, like, this separate box, separate from other workers' rights or separate, you know, the sex worker rights are migrant rights, women's rights, mm. LGBTQ rights, and that, like, there's so many experiences that sex workers have that are mappable onto the rest of us mm. um, to do with how they act and interact with the state, how the law p- does not prevent violence, all of those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been really heartening to see that but as you know, and as lots of people who do grassroots activism know, the last bastion of trying to change attitude and the most conserv- one of the most conservative forces in the country are MPs yeah. and lawmakers. And they're always the last to change their minds on things like this. Mm. And historically, it has been, unfortunately, elements of the Labour Party and the wider Labour movement who have not been very good on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's um, let's start to tell the the whole story. So the reason why there is solidarity at the moment is that you might be aware, dear listener, of uh, Kill the Bill. Uh, that bill, I never remember the full title, the Police and Crime and Sentencing. Police, Crime, Sentencing and Courts Bill, I think might be the whole thing. Now I'm correct sure. me if I'm wrong here, Sarah, that um, so there's been, so the reason why um, decriminalisation, well, the reason why we're talking about sex work uh, around this is that there's been, is it an amendment table to this bill tabled by Diana Johnson, who is a Labour MP, 
who is seeking to introduce what we know as the Nordic model. Am I right so far? Yes, as well, nearly in that. Let's rewind back to December yeah. before most of us have heard of this terrible bill. Mm-hmm. So Diana Johnson brought in what's called a 10-minute rule bill. So it's a That's private true. member's bill, which is a bill that any MP can put forward. But quite often they don't pass because they don't get government time. The government doesn't support them, don't get time. And that was around bringing in Nordic models type laws. Mm-hmm. But because it didn't get any government time, it was first heard in December. It's not been seen off since. Mm-hmm. But on the 16th of March, she stood up in Parliament during the debates about the police and crime sentencing and courts bill and said that she was intending to bring forward amendments. Mm-hmm. As of today, although I haven't checked answered today, there is she has not actually tabled them. Mm-hmm. I think she's trying to build consensus within the Labour Party, particularly within Labour women MPs, to get support for this bill. And obviously try to push the government to support it because you'd really need the government to support any amendment to the bill. Mm-hmm. But we sort of went off on the front foot with this to get out before her and to you know, make the case as to why this is a bad thing before it gets included in the bill and just becomes this thing, you know, some, you know to get something out of a really, really bad bill, which is quite cynical really yeah. like this bill is terrible mm. and then to try put in an amendment which they claim is feminist mm-hmm. it's a terrible bill and you know on my opinion the left should really be cooperating with this bill in any way shape or form that's a really um, good point but, let's that's um so th- that's so the the protests around uh called kill the bill uh, are coming from yeah. lots and lots of different directions and sex workers are involved in this now also, uh, GRT communities, so traveller communities, are also talking about this because um, this bill is incredibly dangerous to um, to travellers and to uh, travellers being able to survive in the UK, um, but also to the rights of protest generally, and it's incredibly oppressive to the rights of protest. But circling back to sex work, you might have figured out by now, dear listener, if you're new to um talking about uh, if you're new if you if you don't know about the laws of sex work yet you'll probably get the vibe from me and sarah so far that the decrim is good nordic model bad boo boo so let's uh, talk about the differences between the two and then we might also talk about a couple of the other because people often confuse decriminalization with legalization which yeah. we'll talk about as well so yeah so let's do the let's do the the run through the hits of the current state of play for sex workers in the in the well not the uk because that's Yes, in correct. Britain, My pet here. <laughs> in Britain and then Northern Ireland, so which is different. Yeah. So it, um so in Britain the law I would say is very British and it's also that law exists around the world because of colonialism. Mm-hmm. So in the in Great Britain it's legal to exchange sex for money. Mm-hmm. But everything around that pretty much is criminalized. So as long as you don't solicit for sex in public mm-hmm and you don't curb crawl on the client side, and also that you don't work with another person, you don't work in a brothel, any of that, it's all perfectly legal. So basically women have to work in private on their own. Yeah. As soon as you step outside that, if you work in a brothel, you're not directly criminalised yourself, but your workplace is illegal, so obviously there's all the problems that come with that. If you work with another worker for safety, that becomes a brothel because a brothel is just any establishment with more than one sex worker in it mm-hmm. so you can't work with another friend because then you could be arrested for brothel keeping yeah so you know there's no harm reduction there at all you can no. see all the problems with being forced to work alone or work for criminals that that's where we are 
So um, that's so the current situation is that we have this kind of partial criminalization where there are acts around yeah. sex work which are criminalized, which are already making sex work already not making because it's been in, it's been in place in in Britain for so long. But it's mm. it reduces the opportunities for workers to to keep each other safe by working together, um, even by sharing a flat with another worker who could you know intervene if a client mm. uh, gets nasty, for example. Um, uh, or any other form of organising is made much more difficult as well. So organising against the bosses, for example, is made much more difficult if workers are uh, if if the work is criminalised. Um, so that's the current state of play in Britain. Yeah. In Northern Ireland, Sarah. So in Northern Ireland, they have what we're referring to as the Nordic model. Mm-hmm. So the Nordic model says that you know the headline that you'll get is it decriminalises the worker and criminalises the client. It does one thing that we all agree is good, which is it decriminalises soliciting in public. Mm-hmm. Although in Northern Ireland, I'm pretty sure they didn't do the other bit, which they need to do as part of that, which is to wipe the criminal record of anyone who's ever been done for soliciting in public. So I don't think that's ever been um, done, and probably not for this podcast, but there is a really, really pernicious um, thing called a prostitute's caution that remains on your record forever. Okay. So... So it does that one good thing, but in Northern Ireland, I think there were 20 street sex workers in all of Northern Ireland. So right. like we're talking about very, very low numbers. Mm-hmm. And then um, and, and then it doesn't repeal anything else mm. that criminalises anything around a worker, but it criminalises clients. Now, what happens when you criminalise clients? Like, that sounds good. Let's punish the bad men who are doing these things to these women. No, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Sex workers are now facilitating a crime basically. So sex workers are facilitating the crime. The police are going to monitor sex workers to stop that crime from happening. Mm-hmm. So although selling sex itself isn't criminalised, which it never was, police now have more excuse to raid brothels. Yeah. Because, you know, at the minute, the police guidance, whether or not it's applied, is that the police just sort of leave brothels alone if there's no exploitation happening or... um. And then also to do with um, uh, sort of with surveillance and with all of that, you know, trying to interrupt and crush the sex trade. Mm -hmm. If you are a worker who is working in a brothel or working at home on your own even, Mm -hmm. because your landlord is still criminalised through the third party laws, it's much more likely the police are going to ring your landlord and get you evicted. Mm -hmm. And the Republic of Ireland, which also has a Nordic model, we have seen that happening to a lot of people, I know some people that's happened to, and the Garda in Ireland, who are the police in Ireland, have said they have recruited more police officers to specifically do that. Gosh. Because as far as they see it, the Nordic model is about stamping, you know, um, what was it, how must you call it, crushing the market. Mm-hmm. It's about crushing the market. and So they, therefore they would do anything to interrupt the market. They will sit outside sex workers' flats and, you know... Um, question every man who comes out of it they will you know they will as we've seen in the republic of ireland uh arrest and charge and imprison sex workers for working together for safety because that's a brothel Mm -hmm. and and that again they're interrupting the sex trade as far as they're concerned so it doesn't bring any more safety and it doesn't actually get any rid of any of the laws that criminalize the vast majority of sex workers now and one of the things that people that um that campaigners for the Nordic model will claim is also that it reduces demand for sex work, doesn't it? That by criminalising yeah. the client, that it will act as a disincentive for the client to uh, to see to seek out a sex worker. What's actually happened where 
where we've had Nordic because it's not just Northern Ireland, France has had mm. it, and which of the Nordic countries or Scandinavian countries have it too? So of of the Scandinavian countries, it's just Sweden and Norway mm-hmm. and Iceland. Yeah, if you want to count them as well. Um, and but then you have France, Israel, Canada mm-hmm. are the other big ones that have it, apart from Ireland, North and South. Mm-hmm. And so, what's happened with demand? Where has has it reduced demand? In Northern Ireland, it hasn't, mm-hmm. as far as the research has shown. Northern Ireland was the only place to introduce the Nordic model that actually bothered to baseline the sex industry beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it's very hard to say for other countries, right. to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really tell. Like, how do you tell with a market that was always partially criminalised what the demand was, how of many course. people were working in it? How do you identify someone who's a sex worker? Is it someone who's working occasionally? Is it someone who's working full time? You know, it's it's all quite wavy lines. Mm-hmm. But we know from speaking to sex workers in France and health projects in France mm-hmm. that demand has gone down, maybe even by 10, 15%, let's say. Mm-hmm. Not by massive amounts, because the research in Northern Ireland showed that something like 35% of clients thought they were criminalised anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. But what it's done is any clients who are super worried about breaking the law have gone away. So the ones that might be... You know, Nordic model supporters don't think they exist. You know, slightly nicer clients, mm-hmm. in inverted commas. But you've got two things there. One, people who are criminalised already are coming to see sex workers. They're already prepared to break the law and take that step to break the law to see a sex worker. What other laws are they prepared to break? Right. So they're more likely to be risk takers. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to, you know... they all. It also forgets that the, the sex worker needs to sell the sex more than the client needs to buy the sex. Mm-hmm. So this idea that it gives cli- sex workers more power over clients isn't true, mm. especially for sex workers who are in the most, you know, closest to the breadline. Mm-hmm. If, if the difference between losing that 10, 15% clients means you can't pay your rent, mm-hmm. that's different than you can't buy slightly nicer groceries that month or something you know like yeah, yeah. it's it's like anyone who's you know wor- worked on the breadline you know the difference between you know below a certain level of income you just can't survive mm-hmm. and that so it's forcing especially street workers to stay on the street for longer not have as long to screen clients mm-hmm. not have you know ability to negotiate condom use all of that that has all come out of reports that have come out of france france have had the law for five years now so you know, it just doesn't... So let's kind of walk through, like, an imagined yeah. scenario uh, just yeah. so everyone kind of gets it, I guess. So um, where where the client is criminalised, he he will ha- he he will be... Uh, we're saying he, but he will be aware yeah. that he's being surveilled and being watched. So he's mm. going to ask the sex worker, particularly... And we're talking here about street sex workers as well, who mm. are the most vulnerable when we're talking about sex workers. Mm. It's the, the, the most vulnerable in terms of uh, to violence and, uh, um, and all, the, all the forms of violence that, uh, come with, that can happen with sex work. So the client will approach the sex worker. As soon as contact is made, that conversation is going to have to happen away from where they think they're being surveilled. So yeah. rather than under a light or under in in full view, it's going to happen have to happen in a darkened doorway and a back street in somewhere else. So immediately, that worker is then taken away from other people that they might know from being uh, from their own kind of sense of like defensible space where they feel safe. Also, those conversations are more likely to be hurried, right? So it's, yes. it's got to be quicker in order to complete the transaction in order to to get to where. To, to do 
the actual sex work. So the conversations and the negotiations about the work are happening, uh, will happen in, in where the client is criminalised, uh, away from the eyes of other people, and they're going to be more hurried. And so that actually gives the worker fewer options, right? Yeah, and also for indoor workers, it also means that clients are less likely to want to come to an indoor worker's space because they know the police will know where that flat is right. and probably be sitting outside it. Or, you know, like, or, or, you know, like what they do in Sweden is they actually just wait and then just burst into the room when the client's in with the client, right. you know, with, with the worker. Um, so they'll, they're more likely to want the worker to come to them, which is inherently more risky, right. obviously, because you're going into a situation that, you know, you can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like any woman who's dated, you know, gone on any casual dates with a man, it's always safer to take them back to your house than it is to go to theirs, isn't it? So, you know, it you know that you know it's just that same thing like it's all these like it's it's not one thing it's all these little small things to taken together that make people more unsafe and there's another element to this as well isn't there about um advertising online isn't there can you talk us through that a little a, a bit? yeah so dana johnson's um who's you know been spearheading this bill and these amendments is very much talking about pimping websites as she referred to them now, those are just any online advertising site that a, a sex worker would use to advertise their services mm-hmm. directly to clients, which, of course, if you criminalise them, one doesn't really work because it's the Internet. And there's all sorts of things that are criminalised that are on the Internet. But two, that is forcing workers to go back to work through third parties or to work on the street rather than to use online advertising, which has enabled a lot of workers to be independent. Um, of any third party so you know are they going to force people to go back into agency work to go back you know mm. it it's just not um in any way progressive in terms of worker safety and also i've seen quite a lot written um because the scottish government are trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. um particularly out of scotland seen stuff that's just like oh that you know it doesn't really help workers do anything it doesn't really make any difference and it's like <laughs> you just need to listen to sex workers talk about mm-hmm. the things that they that they use like of course it's not going to be 100 percent safe because if you if a man contacts you and contacts you on tinder and you go for a date with him it's not 100 percent safe yeah. but and they can tell you anything but it's it's not making things any better and it you know you can just see like yourself like how that's making people less you know available like so many freelance workers advertise directly yeah to their clients now and it means that they don't have to pay like this massive overhead to an agent and it's just the same really so the really what kind of really um really springs out to me here is that we are you mentioned the word agency in terms of uh, in, a, in another context just now <laughs> but i'm talking about agency in terms of like uh, yeah. our freedom uh, our, our freedom to make decisions for ourselves mm. so um that the way to increase uh, you know what I say in my book. Can we talk about consent? Uh, the way to increase uh, consent in the world is to increase everyone's agency, everyone's ability to make yeah. decisions for themselves. What feels good for them, what feels right for them, and so uh, the Nordic model sounds to me like it is taking away decision-making power. It's taking away some of the power from the sex worker, and actually, the sex worker needs more powers, more uh, opportunity to be able to say. Um, no to clients or to be able to say no yes but with condoms or no over here or uh doing yes but with an in-call uh where i feel safer um also there needs to be built-in time as well for sex workers to be able to um 
to vet their clients as well, because um, uh, either via the uh, Ugly Mugs Network, the National Ugly Mugs Network, uh, or through other um, ways that sex workers organise to keep each other safe through their mm. networks as well. Um, so it's that's what it's about, isn't it, Sarah? It's about increasing agency for work, for the worker. Yeah, it's the same as all workers. You know, you need strong workers' rights protection. And I suppose the other thing that, you know, we should mention, I suppose to be fair to, fair to Nordic model supporters, is is that they will say, oh, we want, you know, better exit services for people want to exit. And like, everybody on the decriminalisation side wants that. And we want, but we want it for all workers. Mm. We want all workers to be able to turn down work they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, this is happening in a background whereby the Tories and massive parts of the Labour Party, let's be honest, are very pro non-livable benefits, mm-hmm. benefit sanctions, mandatory reassessments for PIP, mm-hmm. ESA, all of that. You know, the fact that we under 25s basically have no access to housing benefit anymore. Mm-hmm. Under 35s, it's very, very restricted. All of that means that people don't have the power to turn down bad work. We've seen this during COVID, how many workers were forced into work into unsafe working conditions who should have been self-isolating. How many workers died of COVID contract it in their workplace and you can't divorce any of it from that and the idea that like it's only sex workers that need this or also that the government cares about sex workers Mm -hmm. or cares about people being in crap work you know the whole thing is they want everyone to do crap you know they want everyone not to have the power to turn down crap work and then they wonder why people end up in sex work and it's like because you've got no ability to pay for your bills and not live in abject poverty pretty much Mm -hmm. Unless, unless you do something to get out of that. And for a lot of people I know, they're disabled or they have childcare responsibilities, mental health issues, all of that. And sex work's one of the few jobs where they can work for themselves, they can work around their own schedule, you know, or they can work in a brothel and just turn up, do their shift and go home mm. and make enough money that day to do them for the week. Mm. You know, and, and you know, it's just that there isn't that ability elsewhere you know you go and work in a shop and you've been off four days in a year and you'll get like a final warning you know it's it's just not there's a lot of like not realizing what the realities are for a lot of people living precariously in this country exactly and the um that's really well put it's a really powerful argument that we have some of the stingiest uh benefits in the world um even that well i say even the ft the ft are like the the socialist newspaper of choice, aren't they? But they, they are. They, I think so. They say definitely better than the Morning Star. Well, it's it's yeah. capital speaking to capital, so uh, yeah. That, so they tell the truth, and so they say, look, <laughs> um, so many people just can't, you know, find it just too difficult to live, too hard to live. And if it if it's if your choices are between doing sex work or another precarious kind of work or another kind of um, uh, work that uh, where because of uh, because of labour practices the work is unsafe because a unionised unsafe labour practice if it's a choice between doing that and starving you don't have a choice do you if yeah, you only and, have a choice also, of doing something or not doing something it's not a choice yeah and also like a lot of Nordic model supporters also are predicated on the idea that any woman would rather do anything else than sell sex mm. like quite often you'll hear this selling yourself selling your body and it's this idea that women having sex changes women in some way Hmm. which isn't true for a lot of women it's this idea that you know sexist you know i think there's uh my friend frankie who writes quite a lot on this you know has written you know found something on nordic model noise website where they were saying sex should be its own sweet reward (laughs) which of course as you know through your own work 
for a lot of people and particularly a lot of women sex is not enjoyable sex is not great with their partner let alone anybody else so it's like it's just like a complete you know red herring it's like some some people are like oh sex is not that important to me i'd rather do that than this other thing exactly. you know and they are taking it like it's out of limited choices but those choices are still important because then we get into a very slippery slope argument whereby we're saying that poor marginalized people particularly women can't make choices for themselves and they need the state to come along and make those decisions for them mm-hmm. and that is incredibly dangerous in my opinion big time because because that's where we end up with people having their kids taken away and we end up with you know all of these things that have happened over the year to working class people particularly working class women and you know communities of color as well and you know we just have to be very careful when we're talking about that oh these women have false consciousness they don't know what they're doing you know and again like any of this criminalization is not helping increase people's choices it's not helping the people's material needs in the here and now like great we you know if if nordic model supporters want to increase support services for sex workers that's wonderful we can do that now today without making the industry more violent and trying to coerce people into quitting by increasing the violence well perhaps nordic model folk don't want to do this but but if it was their intention to create a workplace that was just was so um, violent and so uh, precarious mm. um, in order to stop sex workers from going into it, that's incredibly inhumane. Yeah, I, I have heard there is a famous quote from Francis Fitzgerald, who was the Irish justice minister at the time this came in, who said that maybe vi- increased violence would act as a deterrent from entering the industry. <sighs> And she said that to sex workers' faces. So sometimes the mask slips a little bit yeah. and you do see this behind, behind all the concern. And when I have seen things about online advertising that are like, well, this is why the sex industry is expanded. It's like, well, what are you saying? That we can't make it safer or slightly easier for people to become a sex worker because then more people will do it and that's bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's a really, really big conversation to be had there as to whether or not women deciding that that other exploitative work they were doing was worse and therefore they're doing sex worker sex work because it's better mm. than the alternative is actually a bad thing you know like it's such a complicated yeah. nuanced decision but it's like you're basically saying we can't make this any better because one or two people might decide that this is like like seems like a great idea and go and do it and it's, yeah. it, it's just it's just not humane and it's not consensual either is it really no it's not um, no, it's yeah it's re- it's reducing opportunities for consent i mean back to your point earlier about um you know we'll we'll have very very different attitudes towards sex and sex um there are many different motivations for having sex there was a a researcher who apparently found there was over 300 different reasons for why people might have sex. Mm. Um, not all of us have this kind of, you know, some people might have this view that sex is very special and it takes place within um, intimacy, like very prized intimacy with people who have made a commitment to each other. That's fair enough for them, but that should not be the, the that's the charmed, the inner charmed circle of sexuality. That is both uh, not something that we should aspire to. We shouldn't be... Um, creating this kind of normative attitude towards sex and nor is it that even available to everyone right yeah. and so um it does do this kind of uh it, it in in and of itself places this kind of um normative kind of boundary around who is allowed to have sex what kind of sex it is that we should ha- have and in what circumstances when we know actually that uh sexual violence uh towards women is way more common within intimate partner relationships it's um and as you were saying before, sorry, I'm ranting now. <laughs> as you were saying before, um, 
you know, many people are having crap sex. You know, one in ten young women regularly have painful sex. This is to do with bad sex education. Really bad. So I'm here for yeah. people wanting to having having these discussions around motivations for having sex and how people might have more agency through sex. But it feels like this only ever really comes up when people are talking about the Nordic model. Um, yeah. As we're kind of talking about, like, sex and, and culture and stuff. Mm. Um First of all, this is something for sex to... The, the DECRA now is very much focused on on uh, decreasing harms for sex workers, uh, enhancing their agency, building their agency in order for them to, to negotiate the kinds of sex work they want to do, but also to eventually negotiate themselves out of sex work as well and mm. to organise themselves out of sex work. And it's very much for the sex worker. Um, we, we th- This campaign is not like... It's not like a pro client kind of thing is yeah like this definitely. is like it's the in yeah. fact it's the antithesis of that it's um it allows for workers to organize in order to help prevent them from from in order to keep them safe from the violence mm. of these potential uh of these of these potential clients um yeah like in, in no other like on the left and no other worker organizing struggle do you get thrown at you that this is all about the clients yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like well I think there's a bit in revolt and prostitutes about how Nordic model supporters have to not let their anger at bad men get in the way of women's safety mm. and a lot of it is about this like I've definitely had arguments in the last couple of weeks where it's like you're letting bad men get away with it I'm like no mm. if people were working in a criminalized workspace mm. where they could be evicted by their landlord that law is letting clients get away with it like there has to be a real and this is such a difficult thing to talk about because people don't like talking about this, but we have to acknowledge why do men feel that they could assault sex workers and treat sex workers in a certain way that they wouldn't treat the other women in their mm-hmm. life that way? Uh, and, you know, and it's the same for women, you know, bi women experience more violence, you know, trans women obviously experience a lot of violence, mm. women of colour, migrant women experience a lot of violence. And you've got to think about, like, one what is a woman, what isn't a woman, who is regarded as, like, a woman is important. But also how, like, you are to, A, report that assault and, B, be believed when you report it. Mm. So it's so hard to divorce any of this. But none of this is about, you know, there is no right to buy sex. No one in the decriminalisation movement is, apart from, like, probably some libertarian people way out in the fringes are saying there's a right to buy sex. And, you know, my friend Lydia says, you know, if clients, if we could fling clients into the sun that would make our lives better, then we'd do it. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like that. It's like, if the Nordic model was shown to give current sex workers more power, more power in their workplaces, more power over clients, improve their material conditions, all of that, I'd be all for it. But it doesn't. Yeah. It's not evidence-based. Yeah. You just need to look at how it operates, like, just based on, like, you know, as we were doing, like, talk through how that affects workers' everyday lives and the decisions they have to make. And, you know, you can see that it doesn't make workers' lives any better. Um, You know, if it did, then, you know, totally all for it. Exactly. But it just doesn't. I mean, that reminds me of the... um, I can can hear the distant yelling of a medieval historian, uh, Dr. Alan (laughs) Yanaga, who has taught me and everyone generally about the history of sex work and how it, it was de facto in the middle ages in many cities sex work was 
de facto legalised. The, the weren't, mm. yeah, it wasn't legalised, but it was de facto legalised. Yeah, including in London. Yeah, yeah. Um, and many big cities, and um, and so brothels or bathhouses, as they're known, were always on the the edges mm. of a city wall, and um, it was, uh, and that was because they, uh, the the uh, the kind of um, Thomas Aquinas kind of uh, uh, ideology of sex and men is that if men don't have sex, then they'll get so hot they'll burn the city down. Their, their desire will burn the city down or something. I've, she's, I'm probably getting this wrong, but that just kind of reminds me of uh, you know, which is horrible and, and uh, dreadful towards sex workers. We still see that discourse happening, you know, yeah. whenever we hear about like incels and things like that, and says, "Well, can't they see a sex yeah. worker?" And then why should sex worker be um, more at risk of violence? So it's to do with like safety and um, it's to do with, sorry, I'm kind of going off topic, but I'll come back round. I know exactly where I'm going. So it's to do with like grievability and who has status and who is given status in society and um, sex work and as well as those who make up uh, sex workers are seen as are given less status, than in a, which in and of itself is problematic and makes them less safe that makes sense but also just to come on to the legalization point which is very different to decriminalization sometimes we'll hear people say uh, we should have it like they do in germany or like in amsterdam where they have where it's very legal and everyone pays their taxes and there are licenses and Mm. things like that that's not what we're calling for here that's certainly what decrim is calling for us etc no no so it's important because sometimes people get confused between um, they they use decriminalisation and legalisation as if it's the way it's applied to drugs. It's mm. not the same. Yeah. <laughs> you decriminalise people, you legalise substances. That's basically like the difference. Mm-hmm. And workplaces, really. So legalisation basically means that sex work is still really a crime, but there's loopholes that mean that it's not. So you have to do it in the right place at the right time in the right way for it to be legal. So Germany, for example, and Germany's federal, so it differs in different states. But basically, you have to be registered with the state. You have to have a, uh, you have to, I think you have to go and say, see a psychologist now or a psychiatrist. You have to pay a fee. It's not that much. But, you know, there are things you have to do. And they're all good reasons why sex workers would not want to be on a state register. Mm -hmm. And also things like forced STI checks, which, you know, you probably know as a sex educator, are incredibly ineffective at, actually preventing any sort of public health thing and also that undermines safer sex practices because then clients are obviously like well you've had your tests you know sort of thing um so you know there's all sorts of issues around that it also gives power to bosses because quite often you can only work nevada for example being an example workers can only work in a legal brothel and obviously brothel licenses cost thousands of dollars no workers ever going to be able to afford that and you have to pay like 50 percent of your earnings to uh to the house basically yeah so, you know, you know, and you can't also, you can't walk out the next day and decide you're working for yourself because that's a leak. And it also does so, nothing so, for the so most gives, vulnerable clients either, does it, Sarah? D- most vulnerable workers. Sorry, workers. Not the <laughs> <laughs> no. Most vulnerable workers. It's not the clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it basically means you've created a two-tier yeah. system because you have people who can comply and people who can't. I always compare it to the abortion law, but like people in Britain don't really know the abortion law either. That abortion is only legal. It's not decriminalised in Britain because you can still... So if you don't have an abortion under the 1967 Act, you can still go to prison for life for procuring an abortion. And it's exactly the same sort of thing. Yeah. Apart from in Northern Ireland where we have decriminalisation of abortion. We're hooray. For once, we're ahead. Yes. So, so you know... That's important. The The difference with decriminalisation is that 
as a starting point, sex work is not a crime. And the laws around it are for the protection of the worker because it sees sex work as work rather than like under legalisation, as you know, as uh, Eleanor would say, you know, around um, uh, the medieval like period. It's all but it's the same, you know, it's seen as a contagion, mm. a health risk, this bad thing that the state has to regulate and control. Mm. Whereas under decriminalisation, it seems work. Um, and there's only two places in the world have decriminalisation, which are well, actually three now. New Zealand, New South Wales and Australia and the Northern Territory of Australia. And those are the only places that have decriminalisation as we mean it. So basically in New Zealand, up to four workers can work together without needing a licence. If it's any more than that, then it's a licence present premises which is a legalized brothel as an illegal workplace because mm-hmm. of course you need a license to run a brothel like you do to run a pub or you need to run you know it's not any different from most other businesses in that mm-hmm. way but the workers themselves don't need a license that's the difference right. like the boss like so for example to work in a pub you don't need a license to be a bartender here right. but you do need you know it's the same sort of thing the boss needs a you know needs to be licensed and registered but not you yourself mm-hmm. Um, so that gives workers more power because they can work together or they can work through a third party. De- you know, the street, it's decriminalised on the street mm-hmm. as well. All of that sort of thing. And then New South Wales is even better than New Zealand because New Zealand hasn't decriminalised for migrant workers, whereas New South Wales has, which has obviously helped reduce any you know incidents of trafficking and exploitation because people can actually migrate legally and do sex mm-hmm. work. And again, if they don't like their boss, they can go down the street and work in another brothel or they can work for themselves. So, you know, it's been in since uh, 2003 in New Zealand, 1975, uh, sorry, 1979 and then 1995 in New South Wales. So a long mm. time. And the interesting thing about New South Wales is because Australia's federal, you can compare it to the other states in Australia that have different laws. Right. Sex industry isn't any bigger in New South mm. Wales. You know, harms are just, you know, HIV and um Sexual health, health outreach and projects available to sex workers are much better because sex workers are obviously more likely to engage yeah. with those projects if those projects aren't involving the police <laughs> or immigration. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it's just a different way of looking at the system. It's like work, flowing everything from workers' rights. And of course, if workers' rights in a country are terrible... Mm-hmm. The workers' rights for sex workers are going to be terrible. But that's an argument for increasing everybody's workers' rights. Right. It's not an argument for not giving sex workers that basic minimal level everyone else has. Quite often I do hear that, well, it's not any better than a legal brothel than an illegal brothel. And I'm like, right, well, I criminalise your workplace then. Do you think that will make no difference mm. to how your boss treats mm. you? Like, I think some people forget that their boss only treats them the way they do because by law they have to treat them in a certain right. way. Exactly. And it's like the law, and, and, and there's been a long history of that. So, you know, for 150 years, you know, or 100 years, it's been like some semblance of worker, workers' rights in the UK. So, so you know, that's very well established. Whereas sex work has been criminalised for all that time or the workspaces have been criminalised for all that time. So, of course, it's become hyper-exploitative. Mm-hmm. Exactly, because, and it comes you know, from and those labour laws come from years of organising and unions, yeah, which is something exactly. that sex workers have um, specifically been not allowed to do and not seen and not seen crucially as workers. Uh, no, and and also like you know the TUC have voted down yeah. motions in support of decriminalisation. I've sat and watched trade unionists stand up on a platform and say it's not work mm. one after another in Ireland. Unite. Uh, which is the same United here and the CWU, which is a different CWU than mm. here, um, both supported the Nordic model. Right. 
So, you know, and the Irish TUC supported the Nordic model, the Scottish TUC historically supported the Nordic mm. model. So it's not, you know, not so much for solidarity, really, because it's other people deciding what, what they think is good work. But also out of the Northern Ireland research that was done, they found out that 50% of sex workers already have another job. Right. So they have sex workers in their union because these workers are doing care work. They're doing... um bar work they're doing work in the arts industry which is very precarious and to make ends meet sometimes they're doing a bit of sex work yeah and all of the all of those other um roles incredibly poorly paid feminized work as well work which uh, women are expected to do uh that kind of care work um just a couple of last things before uh, i let Mm. you go so um just to throw in here that this is something that sex workers are in favour of, isn't it? That decriminalisation of sex work. Give us the stats on that, Sarah. Yeah, so either sex workers, it depends where sex workers are. I was just talking to someone about this other day and it's like, the closer a sex worker has, or sorry, the, the more likely a sex worker is to have interaction with the police, mm. the more likely they are to want the current law changed. So, a, like some sex workers don't want the current law changed at all because they work independently. They never really see the police. They're not migrant, doesn't really affect mm-hmm. them. If people are a migrant worker working in a brothel, they're more likely to have experienced a brothel raid, have more contact with the police. If you're working on the street, that's even worse. And actually, the police are probably quite a source of violence mm. towards you, to be honest. Uh, because also, we can't delink this from the decriminalisation of drugs, mm-hmm. can we? Um, so, like, so like, I have never, you know, I've sat in rooms with outdoor workers, street workers, drug using workers, people who started under it. Nobody has ever said they want the Nordic model. People have said they want clients to be held to account, mm-hmm. but that's a different thing than wanting blanket criminalisation. Well, this is the thing. You if, um, like, at the moment, a worker, and, and under and under the Nordic model, correct me if I'm wrong, but a worker would not mm. fear labels, go to the police and say, this client was violent to me, or this client stole no, from no, me. And, and- and that's part of the reason why National Ugly Mugs exist. So National Ugly Mugs are a service that provide alerts that go out to sex workers and go out to um, services supporting sex workers to inform them of any violent clients. Mm. Violent or also, you know, time... Well, sometimes there's a time waster, but it's more violent or thefts not necessarily related to sex work. So, you know, like that brothels are being turned over by an armed, armed mm. band of armed robbers or something. Because, of course... Workers and brothels are sitting ducks for that sort of violence as well, mm-hmm. not just sexual violence, because people aren't going to report that either. Yeah. And we, you know, ugly mugs, you know, help people either report anonymously, in which case all that happens is it goes out to other workers and the police get an anonymous report, or then you can go to the police with, with um, you know, your name and take it further. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ugly mugs will support people who go out to court. But it is, you know, there's loads of research that where the police take a more enforcement based approach, either against the client or the worker, workers are so much less likely to report. And in Scotland, we saw that result in the death of a worker who died because a client turned nasty in her flat. She rang a mate rather than rang the police because the police had been doing brothel raids. Right. I liked her from workers on the street and she didn't trust the police. And, you know, we see that again, again, again. Yeah. That workers will not report this or it takes... You know, there's loads of cases of, you know, it having to get to like 10, 20 workers reporting the same client before workers feel safe enough or in numbers to come out against one person. But, you know, it's 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 just like taking all the barriers that stop other women 
from reporting sexual violence to the police. And then there's even right. higher barriers, you know, if you're a migrant yeah. woman or you're a sex worker, you know, as in, like, will the police believe you and what other enforcement action could be taken against mm. you? You know, we're seeing it today, there was a new story today about how there's another deportation flight going to Vietnam and how there's people who've been trafficked who are going to be on that flight. Right. And then they wonder why trafficked people don't trust the police, don't come forward, all of that. It's because they don't want to necessarily be deported back to where they came from no, exactly. they were trying to get away from something over there as well so you know it, there's a lot of um interactions mm-hmm. you know around that sort of stuff the other thing i just wanted to talk about briefly as well is that you know this is a this is a topic which kind of sits in the wheelhouse of um of the kinds of things that we've talked about on the podcast before this idea of being sex critical um because it's a, Often the debates around sex work, <clears throat> sex work rights, often fall between sex positivity, yay, sex is great, yay, sex work is inherently uh, empowering and I can do what I like with my body and and that's empowering for me and, you know, it's a valid choice kind of thing versus the sex negativity of, as we were saying before, you know, sex is something which we should keep very special under certain circumstances within the inner charmed circle and it should never be transactional and should always be in a loving committed relationship despite all the problems of, of, of sex and, and those circumstances so you can probably tell from our chat that we've been very kind of matter of fact and talking about rights and talking about it as a, as a rights issue but is this something that you kind of um you get pushed back with as well about that the people think that you're taking one of those kind of two positions i think it's really interesting because you know ever since another plug for revolt and prostitutes mm. written by two of my mm-hmm. mates came out a couple of years ago which is very much grounded in workers rights you know i think the discourse amongst sex workers themselves and people who work with sex workers is very much about rights nowadays and it's gone away from that liberal sort yeah. of sex positive thing but that's still what people will throw back like mm. i go out and speak and people say it's not empowering i'm like when did i say empowering <laughs> yeah. where did i say happy hookers where did i say everyone loved their job and it's like this false um sort of like standard that's imposed in sex workers that they need to love their mm. jobs but i do quite often cheekily say it's because it's middle class women don't want to think that their cleaner hates them <laughs> but there's a grain of truth in that isn't yeah. there they don't want to think that service people don't enjoy their job that the person in pret is smiling at them because they have to because there's a mystery shopper about you know like you know that loads of loads of work is performance loads of work is pretending that this thing doesn't hurt or like it or this happens or the you know so much of work is that like how many people work in a workplace where they can actually tell their boss what they think of them or their colleagues what they think of them or what they actually think would work better in the workplace like so much more complicated than that exactly and quite often the problem is you know people's problems with capitalism it isn't with sex work it's just that in sex work the capitalism is so explicit Mm. I was just talking to someone today and I was saying one of my friends showed, she put up on Twitter her, um, at the end of the day in the brothel, how much she'd earned, how much she paid to the boss. And I'm like, imagine if every single worker got that. How much money you've generated for the boss today and how much money you got Mm -hmm. out of that. That would be like revolutionary. But because sex workers see that, like, up front. (laughs) And I'm sure actually a lot of self-employed people can, you know, really, as in, if you're a photographer... You know, the big photography agencies take a massive percentage. You know, anyone who works through Deliveroo or any of those platforms, just like how much restaurants get taken off them by Deliveroo mm. and Just Eat. And, you know, like all this all this platform Capitalism, economy yeah. stuff, 
you know, treat well, all of those platforms take a massive percentage mm-hmm. of people. And and it's just like, for some reason, the only some people only have a problem when it's sex workers who don't get the value, full value of their labour. Yeah. <laughs> it's just quite interesting that, that that's the only bit where, you know, people are like, oh, no, some things can't be modified. And they're like, well, that, well, that's fine, but we're not saying anything right do this but you know we're quite happy with care being commodified at the minute well in some ways care is commodified but also women should give care for free you know that story was in the daily mail about how if women uh, retired earlier the state would save five thousand four hundred pounds a year you know in care costs times this many people because it's all these selfish women who haven't retired yet you know it's like you know all this stuff should be given for free you know it's, it's like okay interesting like how that's framed but but it's this idea that you know sex should be given free fine you know in an ideal world sex should be given freely all of that unfortunately we're living under capitalism Mm -hmm. and workers are trying to survive and survive by any means necessary and they need the rights to support them in doing that and also the rights as i said to like turn down work they don't want to be doing and that's what and that's where that's where we're at with this isn't it and that's the i think that that's like the right and appropriate time to take with this as well um and so that's the thing that we want. It's complex, but uh, but Decrim have made this in Decrim now have made this incredibly straightforward by creating this wonderful open letter. And this is the call out to you, dear listener. Uh, click on the link in the bio, like I said in our last episode. But we're telling you again, click on the link in the bio. It'll take you to the open letter that they put together. In the open letter, there's just loads and loads of. Uh, the evidence for all of the things that we've been talking about, making very clear um, arguments about why it is that decriminalisation is uh, is the is the is the way to go. Um, that can be used as a template, can't it, Sarah, to email your MP, particularly if you have any Labour MPs that if you have a Labour MP yeah, in your yeah. constituency, particularly important, but also anyone. My MP must be very tired of hearing from me, uh, but. Um, uh, send it anyway. Um, do try to personalise it, like with any of these kind of email templates. If you do see an email template, if you can put in why it's important to you, a few lines at the top, uh, would be really good. Make sure that you fill out your address uh, so that because the MP has to respond if uh, they know you're a constituent. Yeah, it all does that automatically. Yeah. It's all good. The template does that for you, and it's also slightly tailored depending on whether you have a Labour MP or Tory right. MP, whether or not we know anything about what your MP feels about this. But yes, as you said, like put in why this is important to you. You know, Ask them for a meeting, because mm-hmm. you're a constituent, you're entitled to meetings. Yep. So if there's something that's really, really important to you, obviously any sex workers who feel comfortable disclosing that they're sex workers or their MP that is also important because quite often MPs don't see sex workers as constituents or members of the right. community or that, that, you know, quite often I think with the class thing, it's quite often because, well, middle class people don't think they know any sex workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you definitely do. They just haven't told you. Yeah. Or people who used to be sex workers, whereas working class people are probably more likely to know someone who's done a bit of sex mm-hmm. work to like make ends meet. Like there's whole communities in the country, you know, like you just have to go back and look at, you know, how even mining communities and lots of work, you know, people who worked in the docks and were on, you know, you know, that those sorts of, you know, systems whereby men turned up in the morning and they had work or they didn't. Yeah. Loads of women were doing sex work. Yeah. Supporting students. Watch Call the Midwife. <laughs> <laughs> Call the Midwife has got, you know, loads and loads of sex workers in it because it's a dock area right. of London and loads of people are doing sex work on the site. You know, like 
that is the way lots of working class communities have survived for hundreds of years. Um, so I always feel like it is a big class issue for me. Yeah, working class communities know what precarity looks like and they know what it is when, when people are hustling to make ends meet. And... Yeah, and they know that poverty is not a noble thing to survive. No. They know that poverty is terrible and demeaning and awful and running out of money on your meter is not a great thing. And they like to do something to avoid that. Yeah. Rather than, oh, you should nobly, you know, it's very, you know, I think people in this country, there's this very Protestant worth it, work ethic and like suffering, you know, we should all suffer, you know, rather than like trying to do anything that gets us out of that suffering. It's better for right. us, you know. This has all just been a play for you to get me to what's called the midwife again, which uh, uh, I'm going to resist. It's very it's good. A... It started again yeah, Sunday. <laughs> it's, the, it's the show that's on before uh, Line of Duty, so you it might... Is. You might have seen a bit of it without realising, dear listener. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Sarah? No, I think that's good. I think it's just, um, oh, obviously, generally on Kill the Bill, there will be, um, I presume this podcast will be out before this, there will be uh, a big assembly on the 1st of March mm-hmm. at 12 o'clock May. in Calgary Square. 1st so, of May. For, sorry, 1st of May. <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> I blame COVID. Uh, yeah, the 1st of May, International Workers' Day, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be a big march in Trafalgar Square at 12. So, like, everyone needs to come mm-hmm. along to that because it affects everybody, mm-hmm. this bill, and everybody's rights. So I think that is really important. Obviously, write to your MP, mm-hmm. you know, and also just challenge your mates when you hear them say things that are really, really derogatory towards sex workers and really, you know, we all know people who make dead hooker jokes. Mm-hmm. We all know people who, you know say disparaging thing about sex workers you know and, and that that's a lot of it like you need to start breaking that stuff down as well in the culture around how sex workers are spoken about and treated and this is i think the one of the roles of podcasts like this it you know allows you to be a well actually i was listening to this podcast the other day and that explains to me that decrim is actually the mm-hmm. way to go for these reasons you know that's that's be the podcast voice in your friend's heads <laughs> that's what podcasts are about they're about learning things and then you taking those in- incredibly good hot takes and then making you seem really quite cool uh, and quite sexy as well in a very kind of, you know, kind of uh, matter of fact kind of way. You know, that's the that's the, the thing to aim for. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much for coming on the show, Sarah. No problem. Uh, finally, and uh, please, if you enjoyed this show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. That's patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships um it helps to uh pay for the show basically so uh please if you can support us there with as much or as little as you can afford a month that'd be great and so until next time bye